And you know, it is hard to choose gear, but there's perhaps no other piece of gear that's more difficult to choose than the saddle because every butt is different. That's why our sponsor today, Pro Bike Gear, has introduced a new range of saddles which are combined with a dedicated online saddle selector. You can find your perfect saddle in just a few steps with the renewed Pro Saddle Selector on pro-bikegear.com. And now, on to the VeloNews Tech Podcast. Hello, VeloNews listeners. This is your friendly neighborhood tech editor, Dan Cavallari, and I am coming at you with a brand new podcast all about tech. How exciting is that? We're going to talk about all the topics that you've got questions about regarding to uh, how bicycles are designed, why they're designed the way they are, who's designing them, and how did we get to this place. So I wanted to start uh, by talking about probably the most notable aspect of bicycle design uh, that's gone across categories from all around to aero is aero tube shaping. Uh, we all know by now that round tube shapes are not as fast as uh, things like cam, cam tail designs, uh, you know, truncated airfoils. So a lot of these terms might be new to you. So I wanted to talk to the experts uh, to get a sense of why bicycles look the way they do today. So I got in touch with Chris Yu, director of integrated technologies at Specialized Bicycle, who is essentially the guru of all things aerodynamic. And we talked a little bit about uh, how, how bikes are designed today, which includes uh, a process called computational fluid dynamics, or CFD. And what that allows engineers to do is get a sense of which shapes work and which shapes don't very quickly on the computer before the bike even exists. So here's my interview with Chris. Uh, I'll interject occasionally to just sort of distill some of the topics down so that uh, in, case, in case things get a little too heady, uh, we do have an understanding of what we're talking about. Uh, but without further ado, here's Chris Yu. Chris, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I feel so honored to be the first. <laughs> the first victim yeah, of exactly. my complex. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have fun. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, in, um, we're in the Bell News office where it is uh, approximately 95 billion degrees in this room. Uh, so I'm making Chris sweat a little bit. Uh, but we should, uh, we should hopefully uh, uh, get a little, uh, little more comfortable as we go into this. I, uh, I expect to, this to be uh, me stuttering a lot and, and figuring out how all this works. So bear yeah, with same me. Same here. All right, good. That um, we're on the same page. <laughs> so today, uh, the reason I, I picked Chris uh, from from Specialized is because um, in conversations that I've had with Chris in the past, we've talked a lot about uh, aerodynamics and how that is now influencing bicycle design. And in recent years, uh, I, I, I'm fortunate because I get to go on all these trips and talk to these engineers and talk to these brilliant people who are designing these bikes and say, I don't understand any of this. Please explain this to me. Uh, and one of the terms that keeps coming up is called uh, CFD or computational fluid dynamics. And uh, that's been thrown around a lot as, as the way people are now designing aerodynamic frames in conjunction with other things. And it got me to thinking, if I saw that on a website, I would see that term and go, I don't know what that means yep. or how it relates to me as a consumer. Yep. So I wanted to pick your day today, uh, pick, pick your day. I want to pick <laughs> your brain uh, today about what is CFD. Um, and the idea is to, to distill this down into layman's terms so that when I'm looking at my next bike to, to buy, I can say, oh, that, has, that was designed with CFD and I know what the heck that means. Yep. So let's start with the easy question. What the heck is CFD? That's a really good question. And so CFD, like you had been saying earlier, stands for computational fluid dynamics. And so we can split it up. Really, the two big things there are computational, that's one, and then fluid dynamics. 
And at the end of the day, what it really is is just another tool in the quiver, kind of like a wind tunnel is a tool in the quiver of engineers. And uh, it's very analogous to uh, a virtual wind tunnel. A lot of people call CFD a virtual wind tunnel. And so when you test something in a wind tunnel, there's really two things that you get out of it. One is you can visualize uh, what the air is doing because it's air is invisible usually. And so think of the Lexus commercial where the guy has the smoke wand over the car and you can kind of see what's going on. That's one use. Uh, by and large, the, the thing that engineers use wind tunnels for mostly is to get forces, aerodynamic forces. So when wind is hitting uh, you as a cyclist or an airplane or a car, we're interested in how much aero drag the object is creating. Um, for airplanes, we care about how much lift a wing is creating. For uh, bikes, it's a similar thing, but side force is really what, what we care about. And so um, a wind tunnel is great because you get to measure all those things. CFD allows us to do all that virtually on a computer. And so uh, if you get really nerdy and down into the details, uh, fluid dynamics as a science is kind of like a, a branch of physics where there's a set of governing equations that define how every molecule of air behaves. So you can kind of think of it as like uh, the fluid mechanics version of Newton's laws for forces. And fluid mechanics is uh, the set of equations that are actually called the Navier-Stokes equations that define how uh, air, any fluid flows. And air is simply just a fluid. So that's why it's, it's generalized to fluid mechanics. But whether it's water, air, syrup, whatever, it's more or less they're all uh, governed by the same physical laws. And so uh, CFD is just basically a, a big, big computer program that solves those equations for a model that you put into it. Okay. In case you didn't catch that, what Chris just said was that air is essentially a fluid. And CFD is a program that allows engineers to see how a fluid flows around an object. That's essentially the distilled idea behind CFD. It's getting to see that flow before there's an actual product in your hands. When did, when did CFD uh, kind of hit the mainstream of bike design? You know, for me personally, it was something I heard of, you know, over the course of the last three or four years, and I knew it was, it was being done, but it just sort of became this talking point yeah. recently. When, yeah. How long has it been a, a factor in this kind of design? Uh, probably around that time frame, I was, I was going to say it really has taken off over the last three, four years. And um, I had my finger on the pulse for a change. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I was like, that's actually pretty <laughs> spot on. And it's like, but the thing is, it's not even just the bike industry, right? C CFD um, across all engineering industries and so even applied to aerospace and automotive design has really only taken off in the last decade or so. And it's still maturing. It's by no means done in the sense that the tools are, are where they need to be to be as effective as they can be. And so it's a continually evolving and improving science to be able to have a better and better tool. And so um, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, CFD as, as early as uh, the late 80s, early 90s was a tool that only the government had, had access to and NASA was running them on, you know, the world's largest computers, mainframes that took buildings to house. And only recently we've gone to the point where computing power has been enough where uh, a company like Specialized or Boeing or, or anyone else has the ability to run it on a machine that isn't a supercomputer that's the world's fastest. Right, right. And now, when uh, when did it become apparent that this could be a tool 
specifically for the the parameters that are unique to bicycle design because you know we uh, you know it, it seems pretty obvious that in car design this would be a boon because um, car production is is such a huge thing they have big budgets when did it become reasonable for bike companies to actually uh, uh, embrace this and and why did they do it yeah I think the big issue with the CFD is um the, the terminology that, that people use in the programming world is garbage in, garbage out. And uh, what cycling has taken a little bit more time to do because it genuinely is a harder problem than I believe than cars and airplanes. Mm-hmm. And I can explain that in a second, but CFD is, is only useful to the extent that you can validate the results coming out of it and correlate to some real world um, findings. Because we're not yet at the point where we have enough computing power and enough understanding of the physics modeling to be able to throw anything into the simulation and just trust whatever results come out are truly accurate and physically real. And so uh, what happens is you have to gain that experience by doing a lot of simpler test cases and actually correlate them to, say, a wind tunnel test or a velodrome test in our case. Mm -hmm. For Boeing, it might be an actual flight test. And uh, with enough learning, then you start to trust, hey, these are the parameters that are using. These are specific models and assumptions that we can make on the computing side. Because if you don't make those assumptions, it'll literally take two to three months to do one simulation. Like I've actually done simulations that take many, many weeks. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work when you're designing a product. You need to know tomorrow. Right, right. And so uh, in order to understand which simplifying assumptions you can make in CFD, it takes years and years of uh, kind of experience to understand what you can and cannot get away with. Let's talk about experience. Um, when you were uh, learning the basics of aerodynamics on the streets, I assume, just, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you just pick it up. Yeah. yeah the mean streets of uh, San Jose. Is that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, when I, yeah, you, obviously, Chris is very learned and has gone to school for a long time <laughs> for this stuff. Um, when you were learning this uh, and, and, you know, getting your education in aerodynamics, was CFD even on the radar at that point? And, um, if you didn't have access to it at that point, what was the process before this came along? Was it just aero lab testing? Was it in the wind tunnel testing was the, the go-to? Yeah, predominantly like, uh, without CFD or before CFD really uh, became mainstream enough where it wasn't just a government lab doing it. It was really just wind tunnel testing is what you had. And then you had empirical stuff, so flight testing, uh, driving a car around a racetrack for us using a velodrome or timing over courses, those are all not as great because there's so many variables you have to account for. So wind tunnel testing was kind of the de facto lab standard until CFD became a lot more mainstream. But kind of back to your question, it's interesting. When, when I was going through school, the grass is always greener. It's not to the point of CFD is just a tool in the arsenal, just like a wind tunnel is a tool in the arsenal. I started out um, doing aerospace work in undergrad, and it was all wind tunnel. Actually, water tunnel I was doing boats um, at the time. and it was always, oh, that was really cool because you get your hands dirty. And um, it got old when you had to like fix the broken tunnel and create models and wake up in the middle of the night to get extra time because a big corporation was paying for time during the day. And so I was like, oh, for grad school, I want to do CFD instead because I can control it. But then you're fighting for computer time on a mainframe. And that was when I was doing simulations that lasted two, three weeks because you know, when you're trying to advance the science of CFD, then you're trying to push the envelope of what you can predict and see how realistic it is. So then you're spending a lot of competing horsepower doing that. And so the balance for being able to design something is somewhere in between, like what can you, how much can you simplify on the modeling side and the computational simulation side and still get a result in a timely fashion? That's kind of the trick. And as that computing power advances and as our understanding 
advances, that uh, needle moves a little bit further towards we can be more predictive and make less assumptions on the virtual side. But until we get to the day, and, and I think it's going to be a while where you can just literally throw in a bike and a person in the computer and just trust the results, period, coming out, that's still quite, quite a ways off. And so until that happens, the wind tunnel, velodrome, et cetera, still very much will have to be a part of the arsenal that we use as an industry. So as part of a, a process, it's, it's, it seems like it's a big step in a process of developing a bike, but it is certainly not the only exactly. step. Uh, what, what does the process look like from start to finish? I mean, yeah. do you just throw a, do you just, you know, noodle something down on a cocktail <laughs> napkin and say, here's our next bike and Done. then, yeah, <laughs> good to go. Let's do this. No, it, it is a process. And it, it, depending on what, what the product is, it, it may be a different process. And going back to what I alluded to earlier, it's kind of interesting because, um, having done some aerospace and automotive stuff and, and now really being deep into the cycling world, doing aerodynamics for cycling is in many ways a much, much more challenging problem than designing an airplane or a missile or a car. And just a simple visual example of that is, um, you know, an airplane or a car, it's moving, but dynamically it's more or less static. It's in equilibrium. And so a simulation for that is, um, in many ways, you can make a lot more assumptions and still get roughly the right predictive result out of it. Cycling is very dynamic. You know, you're riding down the road in a straight line. You have spokes that are spinning and turning. You have tires that are deflecting. Your hair is flapping. Your jersey's flapping. And even riding in a straight line isn't riding in a straight line. You look down at your front wheel, you're constantly correcting to stay balanced. And so that entire problem, um, when you get down into the details, especially with specific product design, a lot of those things matter. And so all of a sudden the problem becomes much, much more complex and you can make fewer and fewer assumptions and still get a reasonable result out of it. And so with that kind of uh, picture painted, what, what we do process-wise is um, we use kind of all the tools in the arsenal in, in equal measure depending on what the question is. And so for a lot of the dynamic stuff like how does a flapping jersey affect uh, everything downstream of it? The tunnel is still the quickest and fastest and most reliable way to get that information. But when it comes to uh, developing or optimizing the shape of a fork or a head tube that it's relatively clean and we can control the shape very well, then yeah, we'll probably start with CFD and do some optimization because the other part about CFD is you can fold in things like structural simulation, finite element analysis and co-optimize. So say we have a stiffness target we have a weight target. We can put all those requirements in and say, hey, make this the lowest drag possible given these targets that we've put in. All right, I want to pause there for a second and sort of distill what Chris just said. If you think of aerodynamic bike design as sort of the difference between reading a novel and reading the Cliff Notes version, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Every time you design a bike, before, when it, before CFD came along, you had to read that novel beginning, middle, and end. And then you would have to make adjustments and then read that thing again, all from the beginning. And Moby Dick is a long book. CFD is sort of the Cliff Notes version. You still have to do that work, but when you make a change, you can get that context a lot quicker. So think of CFD as sort of a trial and error, but the errors cost you less time and money. What happens if the white whale is a purple whale? Well, with CFD, you can try that out very quickly and very easily and see if the story still holds up. All right, let's jump back in and hear what Chris has to say. So once, once you've done that uh, and you've got a general sense of what works for those parameters, do you, do you then uh, actually make a physical representation based on that or do you Absolutely. go 3D print? Or? Absolutely. So that, that's very much a part of the process because, again, as an industry, and I don't mean even in cycling, it's just 
people working in aerodynamic design, we haven't gone to the point where uh, the first shape that comes out of CFT is always, sometimes it will be, but it is always the right answer. There's always uh, trade-offs and variables to check. And so usually we'll use CFT to figure out the right direction and, and a class of shapes or candidate shapes that may be right for that general area. And we'll go to whether it's uh, 3D printing is usually the, the case. We'll sometimes do clay templates, et cetera. But we'll make several physical models to validate, A, validate the results that came out of CFD. And also for some of the candidates, they may be pretty close. Um, we'll also do a, a physical model to check other things out. So clearances, cable routing, things that are just much easier to physically do, especially if we don't have models that mm -hmm. are as representative as all the different housing diameters that are out there. Right, right. right. So. Yeah, because the bike industry is real good at standards. <laughs> um, and so now that now you've got the step, the first step in the process is the the general. Uh, this is what we want to do. And then it goes into CFD. Here's how we might do it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the physical representation. Let's see if we got it right. Yep. Um, how do you verify that you got it right based on the CFD and the physical model? Well, it's iterative too, right? So how do you verify is kind of two ways. So if CFD you're, you're accounting for, say you start with a baseline, as a lot of times what we'll do, we'll start with something that, that is a known entity. So the prior generation, for example then uh, we'll have a very good understanding of how that performs, both in simulation as well as in the wind tunnel. And so when we make a design change, the simulation tells us that it should be X percent faster or slower or whatever it may be. And so when we test the physical model, if it's a completely different number than that, then we know something is up and we should validate either the physical model or the simulation. But by and large, if we've got it right, then we're pretty close. And we're saying hey, it's 10% faster and we see that it's actually 10% faster. So let's check out all the other things that uh, simulation may not have told us in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. uh, now, what are the, the, the difficulties? And you talked about this a little bit. Uh, the difficulties exclusive to bicycles. Now, you mentioned... Uh, that that CFD specifically helps solve. Now you mentioned that uh, things like an airplane or mm -hmm. a car are basically static once they are in the motion that they are yeah. intended to do. Whereas yeah. bicycles have the unfortunate problem of a rider. On right. Top of exactly. It. Um, what both from a, a design standpoint and from a business standpoint, because I, I imagine CFD saves the company a lot of money. Um, just not having to go to the the arrow the excuse me the wind tunnel yep. to, to test and retest and retest. What are the bike specific issues that CFD solves for you guys as a company? Yeah, it, to kind of go to the first point, not to challenge or anything like that. I'm not actually sure that we're saving any tunnel time or oh, okay. money from using CFD. Oh. It's just the fact that we're able to make better product because we have another tool. Interesting. It's kind of like uh, you're building a house with a hammer, and all of a sudden you get an, another tool. You know, like a right. screwdriver or something yeah, like right, that. It's like right. you can, you're still doing it, yeah. but um, they have nail guns now. Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> Let's look into that. Yeah, yeah. stick <laughs> no, to the but, wind tunnel, pal. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so um, the things that CFD are really powerful for are um, one example is what I was saying before. So when you have kind of competing engineering interests to be able to take into account all at once. And so, for example, if we know that we need a fork, a fork that has a certain stiffness level laterally, and we also know it needs to hit a certain weight, and we also want to minimize drag, CFD in combination with uh, structural simulation is really good at co-optimizing and finding a shape that meets all the criteria at once. Mm -hmm. That's one that is very, very powerful for it. At least gives us the right direction to hone in on. Another thing that it's really um, interesting uh, thing for is kind of closing the loop is it's iterative. It's not just that we start in CFD to design something and then we go to the tunnel, check it out, and then we ship a product. 
a lot of times what happens is we'll go to the tunnel and something doesn't line up or we're seeing unexpected results. And so we'll go to back to CFD and CFD is, is a much, much better version of the guy in the Lexus commercial with the smoke wand. It's, it allows you to visualize every um, area that you've put in the simulation. And so you can really hone in on trouble areas and figure out from a fluid mechanics and physics standpoint what's going on. And that gives you an idea of how to fix the issue. Otherwise in the tunnel, if you don't have a capability of visualizing what the trouble area is, then you're more or less guessing, right? Then you sand this way, you add clay that way, and hopefully one of those ways works out and you might be well informed from prior experience. But CFD allows you to basically see what's happening and then adjust using that information. So one of my questions I was going to ask you, which now makes a whole lot less sense to ask, is is that, uh, you know, has CFD in your experience ever just totally gotten it wrong when you went to verify it at the lab? And it sounds like now that the, the, it's because you keep saying it's an iterative process, yep. you can go back and make those tweaks. So getting it wrong is probably part of the process. Exactly. So to answer your question, yes, absolutely. It's yeah. been uh, very, very wrong many yeah, times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so the the advantage there seems to be that even if it does get it wrong, you can just go back easily and make the tweaks to see exactly. what, what, what would make it right. Exactly. CFD is not, um, and that's probably the the takeaway. It's not a a tool that is just automatic. It's more kind of like a recipe, and depending on what you're designing, the recipe might be slightly different. Even though um, the tool is still called CFD, mm-hmm. is there a, a a big difference in ease of use or pros and cons between CFD and the wind tunnel? as individual tools, because I know you use them in conjunction with each other, is one, for you personally, is one easier to use than the other or more useful? No, I would say they're, they're both, um, we, we would struggle if we didn't have one, um, because they're very complementary. There's some overlap, but they're very complementary in what they offer. And the skill set required is they're similar in the sense that they're both um, the same physics, but um, the kind of the personality uh, differences between the two are, are pretty different. So usually a person that does one is a different person that does the other. One is very hands-on. You have to be uh, crafty with models and very precise with the scientific method and experimentation when you're working with the wind tunnel. With CFT, you have to be very, very uh, much more math-oriented, analytical, because you're dealing with math at the end of the day is what the simulation is, and so figuring out all the model parameters what is this math you speak of? I don't understand. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I write words. I can spell math. That's <laughs> the extent of my math. Can you give me an example of a bike uh, that you have worked on uh, in recent years? And, and feel free to go back as sure. far as it's relevant. But sure. uh, that was totally, uh, from your perspective, revolutionary uh, because CFD was part of the process. Yeah. That's a great question, and, and I would just point to the latest road bike that we've uh, we've just launched, which is the uh, Tarmac SL6 generation. And uh, so that bike, it looks more or less from a silhouette standpoint to most of us as kind of a traditional bike, tube shape and dimension-wise. But um, believe it or not, that bike is actually as aerodynamic as our first-generation Venge. Really? Which is a full-on aero bike, tubes very, very deep, and it's like when someone looks at that, it's like, oh, yeah, that's an aero bike. Whereas your first reaction to the tarmac may not be, oh, that's an aero bike, but the performance is there because of the ability that uh, and how CFT has advanced just between those two generations over the the few years, and so by uh, being able to co-optimize uh, again for the stiffness requirements that tarmac needed and the weight requirements, but at the same time we're able to optimize for aero drag, we're able to extract 
much of the same performance across all the different tubes without having to go as extreme as mm. we did in the past. Is this is that going to color uh, how all-around bikes look and feel in the future? I mean, we're already sort of seeing uh, the aero category blend with the all-around category. Is, is CFD going to open up possibilities where we can get to a point where those are basically the same bike? Potentially. I, I think CFD, again, it's a tool, right? And so it allows you to design, your design space widens because you have a tool that allows you to explore all the different corners. But at the end of the day, it's still up to the brand and the engineers and the riders really to decide what is the right mix. Because um, when I talk about co-optimization, you still have to put in what you think is the right mix for stiffness and weight and arrow. It doesn't tell you this is the best for Montvon 2 right, right, <laughs> or right. a time trial. It doesn't do that. Like you still have to develop that tool. I exactly. Want that one, yeah. yeah. So you as an engineer and a yeah. product manager and a rider still have to decide what is the right mix for all the different experiences that I'm actually doing mm -hmm. on the bike and turn those into engineering targets that you then feed the tool. So the tool allows us to do that, but you still need that um, background. Right, right. Now, this, this of course, brings up the notion of, uh, <laughs> I hate to even say this word because it means I'm going to get the nastiest comments on Facebook after this. <laughs> you know uh, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're lucky here. Um, disc brakes. Uh, I, I would be remiss not to talk about disc brakes, especially since, you know, Marcel Kittle mm -hmm. rode an aero bike, disc equipped in yep. the tour, won the stage, a couple stages. Uh, and for the longest time, the two things that knocked disc brakes was weight and aerodynamics, yeah. right? Are we now at a point where we've opened up, uh, design, uh, based on those tools that you have where disc brakes are as aerodynamic or if not more than rim brakes? Absolutely. I think, um, it still feels like disc brakes are new in road cycling in many ways. They are given the long history that road cycling has had, but we as an industry have been at it from an engineering sense for many years now, several years. And so um, all the, the experience and learnings that we've had using all the tools, CFD, wind tunnel, et cetera, uh, mean that we are now at the point where this year we will launch bikes that have a zero disadvantage from an aerodynamic and actually weight standpoint uh, by transitioning to disc brakes versus rim brakes. So really from a performance standpoint, there there is, um, it, I don't think it holds water, uh, the argument that there's an aero disadvantage of any sort if designed correctly. I think we're at the point now where um, we have enough tools to be able to optimize around a new and uh, higher performance brake system. Direct all of your angry comments to Chris Yu at Specialized. Uh, yeah, I opened the door there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it was my fault, and I, I will continue to peel, pick away at that uh, sore spot in the bike industry. Um, with uh, one of the things that has always fascinated me about bike design that I think differs from car design and uh, airplane design, anything else, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, mm -hmm. is that you can make this super fast bike and then you plump me and my, my beer gut on it. You're fast. Yeah. <laughs> fast. I have, I have hints of fast. Okay. I, I, All right. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I have my moments. They, they usually last about 10 seconds. Um, but you plop a rider on it, that totally changes the character of the way a bicycle rides, uh, the aerodynamics of a bike. When you do CFD testing, does it start with, start with just the bike or do you do bike and rider? Uh, are there both simulations? Do you make, how do you make uh, adjustments based on, uh, the various body styles? I mean, yeah. it just seems like such a big, vast thing that you yeah. have to consider. No, it, it's a good question. And that's, that's really the beauty of, and why I love what 
I do, which is to say it's, it's similar in the sense that we're making performance vehicles. It just happens that our engines are 7 billion different people around the world and right. they are on top <laughs> of the vehicle, not in it. And so that's a challenge from an engineering standpoint. Um, so to answer your question, when we, when we do, uh, any project, whether it's CFD or tunnel and, and for products, we start simple and we add complexity because you learn a lot by starting simple. And so, yeah, we'll do not just bike alone. We'll do a half of a fork alone first, just to really understand intimately the physics that are happening there. And yeah, they'll be modified as you add complexity, the person and the wheels and everything like that. But by and large, a lot of the, the big learnings still hold. And so we'll continue to add that. And so we add um, riders, virtual riders in the simulations as well. But there's a trade-off, right? So as you add complexity, the simulations get more costly, and so they take a lot longer to do. And also there's more unknowns because then the person is also another model. Mm-hmm. And so there's more chances to get things wrong, and it takes longer to do. And so we, we kind of try to approach it from a blend standpoint. Can we extract some fundamental understanding from doing a subsystem, and then can we make it more complex and understand how the interactions may change those fundamental learnings? but not have to rely purely on simulating the full experience every time because that just will be time and uh, result prohibitive in the long term. Uh, before we started this conversation, I handed you a list of paper with uh, a paper with a list of questions that I don't think I've uh, asked you any of them. <laughs> Generally, the right direction. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So I've just been asking, what is your thoughts on NAFTA? Yeah. You know, just totally unrelated. Um, and I have two more questions that, I, yeah. that are not on this paper and that I did not prepare you for, but. I think they're they're pretty relevant, and one is, uh, you know, the, there's been talk uh, of the 6.8 kilogram yep. rule going away, and the three to one rule just kind of went away. Yep. Uh, and and w- what is that doing uh, in, in regards to your testing? I mean, you guys must have a backlog of designs that are just waiting and ready to go, and because the three to one rule went away, and yep. when the 6.8 kilo rule goes away. Yep. Uh, what is that going to make bikes look like five years from now? I mean, are we going to see drastic changes? Yes and no. I, I don't think it'll be as dramatic as a lot of people will assume. Um, the visual changes, at least, will will look like if either of those rules go away. And, and the reason for that is because um, both of those rules are really proxies for a, a bigger concept or idea. And so, for example, 6.8, the weight rule was really a, a proxy for safety, right? Like how do we make sure that people aren't idiots and just drill holes everywhere and then all of a sudden they have an unsafe thing when they're descending. Right. Um, so what you're saying, I shouldn't drill holes in my frame. No, please don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was a proxy for safety more or less, uh-huh. right? And then uh, three to one is really a, a proxy for um, let's not make the bikes the giant wings. You're right, right. But for a race bike, um, at least kind of a generalized road race bike, there's uh, other reasons not to do that too, right? So if you make a giant wing of a bike, you might get blown off the side of the road or it's super heavy um, and not a great handling bike. And if you remove the weight limit, there is a point at which um, it's not going to be safe to ride anymore. Sure. Or even even before that point, it might be safe to ride um, for hitting a pothole, mm-hmm. but it may not last more than three or four years of riding due sure. to fatigue. And so um, even if those rules go away, we as an industry, I I truly believe, are smart enough to not uh, slip too far down um, both of those scenarios. And so whatever replaces them, whether it's a safety standard or or some other rule that kind of gets at uh, kind of the aerodynamic trade-offs with uh, handling and weight, then I I think that'll kind of define where we go. And as a result, the differences visually may not be as dramatic as we all expect. It won't be like a Jetsons bike just because those two rules go away. Right, I want the Jetsons. (laughs) Um, Now, more from uh, understanding your day-to-day, I envision you in a 
clean white room lab with, coat. with a lab with a, at Pencil least protector. one lab coat yep. on. Yes. Yep. Uh, and the guy with the smoke wand standing over you at all times, exactly. you know, to, to test the aerodynamics <laughs> of your hair. Um, what from a, from a, uh, you know, just a physical standpoint, a lot of the, a lot of people who are listening have never been to specialized, of course, yeah. may never have seen a wind tunnel, may never have seen uh, a computer or a CFD setup. What does it look like? I mean, just what are, what is your day to day? I mean, are you sitting down at a computer uh, in your office? I mean, could I just be taken away on a laptop doing the CFD that's, at home? Uh, sadly, that's probably more most of the time is, is in front of a computer. No, no. We have, so our, our campus is awesome. If anyone ever comes by Morgan Hill, California, please stop by and, and we're happy to show it off. Um, but we have a couple of buildings. And so uh, the main building is where most of the engineering R&D for all our product happen. And so buried deep in the layer of that building, we have a um, basically like a supercomputer. Um, so it's a, a, a node with many, many processors. And that thing's running nearly 24-7 doing either structural composite simulation research or CFD. And another one of our buildings down the road, just a block away, houses our wind tunnel. And so a lot of our R&D engineers are going back and forth all the time, whether it's carrying models or uh, learnings from some of the simulations. And so um, it's really interdisciplinary. We'll have we'll have product teams across the spectrum go between um, their respective areas and the R and D and engineering building all the way to the tunnel because we we now use the tunnel not just for the pointy end road race stuff like time trial bikes and TT elements and things like that. Uh, the tunnel is used for almost every single one of our products because if you think about about it, Arrow represents things like NVH, so things that rattle and vibrate and the helmet straps when you're riding down the road um, is one that we look into. Thermal performance, so how vents on a helmet work, how our jerseys and bibs ventilate, um, how our shoes ventilate, those are all questions that we answer in the tunnel, all the way to how do we design better rain fenders and backpacks. Mm -hmm. Those are all things that if you think about it, not having realistic wind over you means that you're not really designing for a real world. Sure. And so it becomes a lab for development for all those different things. So it's actually pretty interesting, the diversity that we get in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. So you heard it here. So you can show up to Specialized, bring all of your gear, and they'll test it for you for free. No, I'm kidding. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I might be overpromising yeah, slightly maybe there. a little bit. All right. So let's see if, uh, if I have actually achieved my goal today, which was to take a complex... Uh, Topic, which yep. is you know CFD in a sense, and distill it down to its simplest definition. So if I can pull that off, yep, uh, this will have been a success. And if I can't, you're going to tell me, and then I'm going to go cry Ooh, in the corner okay. for a couple of days. All right, uh, probably get fired. Uh, so <laughs> no pressure here at all. To <laughs> so uh, computational fluid dynamics is essentially a part of a process by which you uh, analyze how bicycle component or or accessory. Uh, acts in real life situations before actually creating a physical rendering of that product. Does that sound pretty close? That's right. Yeah. I nailed Predominantly. it. Predominantly. Yeah. I get to keep my job for another <laughs> week. Maybe they'll start feeding me finally. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thank you very much for, for coming on over and uh, talking about this. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I always love nerding out. So thanks for the opportunity. You are in good company. You are in good company. <laughs> So there you have it. That's the, the brief version of CFD and how it's benefiting you as a rider every time you hop on a new bike. 
If you've got questions or comments about this podcast, uh, anything we talked about, and of course, any questions uh, that you'd love me to address in the future, please uh, feel free to tweet at me at Brown Tie Dan or comment on Facebook with uh, your questions, comments, or ideas. 